Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the very first episode of Brandon's Buzz. I'm so excited to have you all here. Oh, I'm so excited to have this project off the ground at last. It's so exciting. It's such a thrill to uh, have envisioned this a, a few weeks ago and have uh, to have brought it to life. It's so exciting. In case you all don't know, my blog can be found at brandonsbuzz.com. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, I started it back in April, and I didn't think it would last two weeks. And here we are eight months later, and it's still going strong. And it's it's been it's been really the time of my life putting it all together and putting this all together for you guys, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. This is the premiere episode of Brandon's Buzz. As I said, you can find my blog at brandonsbuzz.com. And as pretty much everything is fair game on the blog, so it shall be on this show. I love music. I love the soaps. I love television. I love football. I love cherry coke. And I love bold, passionate, interesting, intelligent people, people like my guest tonight. Take a deep breath. I'm a little nervous. Okay, here we go. Once known professionally by the unique first name of of Wortham, he bounced around the dial throughout the early part of his career, doing guest shots on the hot primetime series of the day, and finally landing the role of deranged military man Cal Winters on Days of Our Lives. A year and a half later, his Salem stint ended, and he fell right into his signature role, portraying with a stunning, steely grace one of the most unique and riveting characters that has ever been created for daytime television, that of Reverend Andrew Carpenter on One Life to Live throughout much of the 90s. You'll recall how brightly he's shown in one of the most daring, groundbreaking storylines in the history of the genre, the 1992 tale, which found his Andrew falsely accused of molesting one of his teenage parishioners, who just happened to be gay and was struggling to come to terms with the fact. Uh, The story culminated with outdoor scenes, which featured terms... (laughs) which featured both the AIDS quilt and a gut-punchingly powerful sermon from Andrew, which pivoted on the idea that hatred can only be consumed by love. Trust me, if you saw it, you never forgot it. His one life stint ended at the turn of the century, and he bravely stepped away from showbiz altogether, enrolled in law school, and he is now a practicing attorney based north of Los Angeles, and he's joining us here on The Buzz to talk all about all of the aforementioned. Please welcome to the show the fantastic Robert Krimmer. Robert, are you on the phone? I am. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Congratulations on your new uh, endeavor. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for being my first guest. It's it's really a, quite a thrill to talk to you. I'm very flattered you would even want an old uh, actor like me. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? You are, let me tell you something, you are very much a legend, at least in my house. <laughs> thank you. So uh, let's talk about what you're doing now first, and then we'll go to your to your entertainment career. You, you stepped away from, from uh, One Life and from acting altogether. Mm-hmm. After your your role kind of petered out on the show, and you you went back into law school, which I understand you started out in law school, and you left that to become an actor, and right. then you ended up going back to law school. So can you talk a little bit about kind of yeah the, yeah the that's process? exactly what happened when I was uh, 
you know, after college, I, I had gotten undergraduate degrees in, in biology and political economy, um, and I set out to uh, be an environmental attorney. I, I worked for the EP, on an EPA project for a couple of years in Colorado, and then I got accepted into law school in California, in Northern California. And um, I finished a year and a half of that program, and then I got, it's a long story, but I ended up getting offered a scholarship to get a Master's of Fine Arts at the American Conservatory Theater. I took a leave of absence, and I never went back. And after I finished uh, my acting studies, I got my first big job, which was on the Paper Chase series. I don't know how many of your listeners remember it, but it was a well-known series about law students at Harvard starring John Hausman. It, it was a movie originally and then was turned into a television series, and I did that for four years. Never went back to law school and had, a, you know, I think a pretty long and satisfying acting career over 20 years. And, and then when One Life to Live ended, I, I kept recurring on the show, but, but I started auditioning, and the industry had changed so much with reality television. I was just... Yes having so much trouble finding good work that I could feel proud of, and I have a family to take care of, so I decided to uh, go back uh, full circle, you know, and, and, and pick up where I left off, and, uh, and that's exactly what I did. So I'm now an attorney. I passed the California bar, and I work for a great firm. name of the firm is uh, Arnold, Bluel, La Rochelle, Matthews, and Zerbel. You can find it on the web. And uh, I'm, in, I'm in Oxnard, California, and we're one of the premier firms in Ventura County, and I, I love my work here. Yeah, that's actually how I found you. There was a, there was, I guess you did a, a, a video piece for a, a local reporter some time ago, and it, it surfaced on the web. And right. I happened to see you on that, and I Googled your, your uh, law firm. And that's how I that's how I contacted you. It was yeah yeah and and yeah they they did a a, a newspaper article a, a feature article on my transition from acting to law and it was interesting because it really wasn't so much about an actor becoming a lawyer as it was about uh, kind of people in the middle of their life who start new careers because there's more and more of those types of people yeah. and um, there are more and more folks who find themselves having to reinvent their lives and that's kind of what I set out to do especially in a shaky economy like this you you've got to have a plan B or you're you're, you're you got to have a plan B C D E and F <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you work with clients are you ever recognized or has enough time passed that you're living a fairly anonymous life again i the latter i, I think i it is a fairly anonymous life although now and again you know it'll it'll pop up I've had a couple of situations where clients have recognized me but have been kind enough not to say anything until much later in the relationship. So, uh, uh, But, yeah, you know, it, it's, I certainly don't get recognized as much as I used to when I was on the show a lot. Yeah. Um, as you probably know, I went back and, and I still go back occasionally. I, I did a couple of days for them uh, in December. Yeah, I still go back and marry and bury people. That's how I like to describe <laughs> Well, let me tell you something. Speaking of your your recent return, it was great seeing you with Susan Haskell again. The that two was, of you have always been electrifying on screen together, and it was, you know, it, what 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 other kind of genre of entertainment on the planet can you can you pull from literally 15 years of history in just one scene? It's so funny you say that because that's exactly what the director Jill Mitwell said. I, I I'm sure you know Jill's work. She's a, you know one absolutely. of our Emmy award winning directors on the show. She's, she's absolutely brilliant. She's, she's been over there for years and years. 
She's fabulous. And, and when I arrived to do those scenes, she almost said your words verbatim. She said, what other medium would we actually be able in real time to put two people together who have a 15, 20-year history, a real 15 or 20-year history? It was pretty cool. And all the two of you had to do was just look at each other, and it all came rushing back. Absolutely. I mean, I'm there with, with, with her, and then, you know, oh, gosh, you know, Jim and Cassie are, in the, are, are all there. and Well, Jim isn't there, but Cassie's there, and Hillary is there, and it's it, it, Robin, and it's like, you know, it's, it's like I never left. It's, we pick up right where we left off. It's, uh, that's, that's amazing. So uh, going, back to, going back to law for a bit, when you do get recognized, is it is it ever awkward or is it ever just kind of a just kind of a fun little you know thing that passes between you whenever you get recognized? It's it's a fun thing. It's it's actually it's never been awkward. Uh, you know, I know who I am and I know what I'm about, and and I think it communicates pretty clearly to people. And you know, maybe in certain cases I have a little bit of a obstacle to overcome based on somebody's preconception of what an actor or who an actor is. Um, but we get past that pretty quickly. Yeah. And uh, can I ask what kind of law you you are involved in? What kind of sure. work? I don't know. It's nothing sexy. I mean, you know, I, I guess people would kind of assume that I would have been attracted to to litigation and trial work, but that's actually not the case. I I stay true to what I set out to do. I do a lot of uh, on the. I have actually. There's two parts to the practice. Uh, we represent, on one hand, a lot of public agencies, uh, water districts and sanitation districts. I can already uh, hear your audience falling asleep. But, uh, <laughs> Absolutely not. It's, uh, it's really, believe it or not, it's very exciting work because we're dealing with very important issues having to do with providing people their basic water and, and sewer, and there's a lot of legal issues that surround that. So that's kind of the public side of the practice. And then on the other side of the practice, with individuals, uh, we do. Uh, I do a lot of real estate, land use, environmental work, and one of the areas that I'm most interested in is water law. In California, we have huge issues with uh, the availability and the distribution of water, and the laws that govern that are very complicated and really challenging to learn, and we represent a lot of farmers, a lot of agricultural folks, and so they're very much... Um, uh, interested in in water and how water is distributed, and, and so I get very involved in that. So that's what I do. Excellent. So are you? Oh, what uh, I, can you describe like an average day uh, in terms of when you go to the office? Do you do you mostly deal with other lawyers, or do you mostly deal with uh, uh, you know private clients? Uh, uh, Great question. Uh, the average day, it's it's you know I'm in I'm in the office usually by uh, eight to eight thirty, uh, and I stay uh, oh maybe six, sometimes later or sometimes much later depending upon the deadlines that I'm facing. Um, in terms of my interactions, it's both. I interact a lot with the partners of the firm because I'm still in a learning phase and they've been incredibly. Uh, generous in their time and energy they're investing in kind of essentially teaching me uh, this some of the the nuances the, there's a lot about law that you don't learn in law school put it that way <laughs> and then and then uh, the rest of the time is very much client related a lot of time on the phone and uh, we go I we represent a lot of board of directors of the various districts and so I there's attending those meetings and answering questions in anticipation of board meetings and 
so it goes on and on. That's kind of the, the basic lay of the land, though. Excellent. And you've been at this for what, three or four years now? Well, I started out, when I decided I wanted to do this transition, the first thing I did was I trained to get my national certification as a paralegal because I wanted to work in a law firm during the day and go to law school at night because I needed to stay up in this area and, and raise my kids. So I passed that uh, certification exam and I went to work in the appellate court and in the county government area and then I got hired by the firm I'm with as a paralegal. I worked in the trust probate will section of the firm for three and a half years all during law school. When I then I took a couple of months off to study for the bar. I passed the bar and they hired me as an associate in this new area of law that I'm doing. So I've been doing this now for about uh, working as an actual attorney for about, uh, I think I'm in my eighth month now. Excellent. So, so if you have law on one hand and acting on the other, how do, I, I, don't, I don't know how to ask this question exactly. I don't, it's, it's not which one turns you on more, but do you, I mean, I'm sure, they, I'm sure they both touch different sides of your psyche, but, but which one, I don't know, which, are you, which one are you more excited about? Well, I think I'm more excited about about uh, the law in the sense that it's it's new, it's fresh, it's challenging, and you know, it's hard to understand this. And I certainly get the value of storytelling. Believe me, it's it's an important thing in the world. But that being said, you know, I'm really enjoying doing something real. I, I'm enjoying not pretending. Yeah. Um, you know, I had so many decades where I was pretending to be things, whether it was an Episcopal minister or uh, the emperor of a, of a planet on Babylon 5. You know, I mean, I, I'm always pretending. And so now to be doing something that's real, that's, that's me, and that working with people to solve problems in reality, it's just very, very energizing for me. And and on top of that, this, this job uh, gives me an opportunity for a lot of wonderful community outreach. I can really do things in my, in my county, in my locality to make a difference. So um, I'd have to kind of say at this stage in my life, I, I really enjoy uh, the law. But when I go back to One Life to Live and do these little spots um, and see all my old friends, it's, that's fun and it's great to be able to do that and not be dependent on it for a, a way of life. And I'm, I'm sure it fires up a whole different part of your personality whenever you do go back. Absolutely. My, my, you know, my, uh, the, the actor is, uh, to act, you know, you try to turn off your thinking. You know what I mean? It, it's yeah. more intuitive. It's more from the gut. You try not to intellectualize it. So that's what gets turned on when I'm acting is the kind of intuitive, you know, go with it, be in the moment thing. It's exactly the opposite in law. In law, you're, you're always thinking. You're always trying to figure out problems yeah. that might occur. How do you avoid them if they occur? So it's a very different kind of thinking. It actually, I think it, it's a nice balance, you know, when you think about it, yeah. at least for me. I don't know. Most people probably think it's nuts. <laughs> well, I'd like to drag you kicking and screaming back to your acting career, if you don't mind. <laughs> okay. So uh, the mid-'80s, you kind of bounced around the primetime landscape, and you can line up all the hot shows, and you were on them. New Heart, Knott's Landing, Hill Street Blues, St. Elsewhere, yeah. Lord, Wormington Steel. Yeah. I mean, you, you, were just, you were on all of them. ER. 
when the early days. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then you you land on you land on Days of Our Lives, which at that time was the hot show in daytime. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it really worked out nice. What happened was, you know, we we got pregnant with our first child, and I needed steady work. It was you know it was great to go from show to show, but you never knew what was going to happen next. When you have a kid, you kind of want a little more stability. So I went to my agent and I said, you know, I'd really like to start uh, auditioning for daytime television. And my agent at the time, frankly, wasn't in favor of it. He thought that I had a great career and that it was moving towards kind of a, a nighttime series thing. But, um, you know, I, I just wanted to act and earn a living and take care of my family. So, uh-huh. yeah, I did the days of our lives and... I loved it. I loved daytime television. It was fabulous. It was perfect for me. Absolutely. And you were perfect for it, too. I mean, it's no yeah. question about it. Well, I had a theater background, and I think daytime television is about as close to theater as you're going to get on TV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you started out on Days of Our Lives, if I'm not mistaken, with Jeannie Francis, who was the most famous actress in the history of soaps. Isn't that amazing? Did I really lucked idea, out. Did you have any idea the legend of Jeannie Francis when you, when you started that role, or did you go in kind of blind? Uh, well, you know, I read Time Magazine, so sure I knew who she was, um, but, uh, you know, and I was in awe, um, and, but she turned out to be just a fantastic person. She was very, very kind to me, and she was such a veteran even then, and I may have even been a little older than her at the time, but she was a veteran and, and really taught me a lot. So I, and I also worked, you know, with Drake Hogeston in that storyline, and, uh, who's just now, I think, kind of retiring I guess and uh, but you know to have Drake and Jeannie kind of showing me what to do is was great and then Charles Shaughnessy uh, became a good friend too and so yeah, exactly. they all helped you, me you moved on from Jeannie and you kind of became the interloper in the Shane Kim romance and yeah uh, yeah you know, other than other than Patch and Kayla Shane and Kim were the couple on that show they were uh, what was it like being the monkey wrench in, in the couple on the show it's never an enviable position let me tell you <laughs> One time I was in Macy's in San Francisco, and a lady came up and actually thwacked me with her purse for treating Kim so badly. I had to explain that 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 was TV. This is real, and that hurt. <laughs> so was it was it was it? A, it must have been a blast playing just a little bit off in the head, a little bit. You can. That was of... really it was really great. I mean, uh, it was it was funny. I mean. Uh, at first, I kind of, you know, the character was a Vietnam vet, and he was brought onto the show to kind of play a, a role as a, as a, you know, a, a troubled vet who was finding his way back to reality. When they turned him into a um, kind of a psychopath, I gotta admit, I, I wasn't really very happy with that. You know, it was a long time ago, so you know, it's water under the bridge, but. I guess it's kind of interesting to know. I didn't like the idea that they were taking a Vietnam vet and making him a psychopath. I just thought that was kind of in bad taste. And uh, a lot of guys had really suffered over there. And so I was had been more interested in a storyline that would have shown rehabilitation of somebody like that as opposed to making him, you know, a, a killer. But, you know, that's what they did. And I was on contract, so I played it to the best of my ability. Well, you did a really good job, and and uh, I mean, like I said, you're still I still remember you 20 years later. So, yeah, uh, you, you did something right. I guess. So the day stint ends, and how do you get wind of the role of Andrew Carpenter on One Life to Live? Did you 
No, I mean, I went back to doing, it ended, and I, I went back to doing theater and, and episodic TV, and out of the blue, I got a call from um, my agent and a casting director who I had done some episodic work, an L.A. casting director, had been contacted by ABC in New York. They had been looking for a guy to play this role of a minister in New York and hadn't found anybody that they liked, which struck me as very odd because New York's filled with amazing actors, but I guess they were looking for something specific. And uh, they asked me, if they were coming to L.A. to audition actors. Would I like to go in? I said, sure, absolutely. And I went in. It was funny because it was a minister, right? Mm -hmm. So I showed up to the audition. A minister um, named Carpenter, wink, wink. Yeah. And I, I showed up to the audition in this kind of beat-up old corduroy uh, three-piece suit, looking very ministerly and very nerdy. And the other guys who were auditioning all came in cowboy boots with their shirts unbuttoned down to their belly button, you know, in typical soap style and at the time with the uh, big hair going. And, uh, and, you know, I really looked like a fish out of water. And I thought, well, I've blown it because I'm, I'm going to audition for the role and they're going to audition to be a soap star. And I think they made the right choice. So, uh, but I went ahead and made my choice and did my thing. And they flew me out to New York for a t screen test. And I wore the exact same op outfit and the exact same thing happened. And all the guys there were kind of, you know, six foot 10, you know, you know, the type yeah. Yeah. and, uh, and chiseled, and I'm there, my little, you know, nerdy self in my corduroy suit, and I did the scene with Jessica Tuck, uh, who I adore, and uh, I got the role. I couldn't believe it. And they said it was going to be a six-month role, and it turned into, you know, 12 years. Wow. Yeah. I t I you never know. Funny. i tell you what's funny. You know, we fans kind of, uh, uh, you know, we're always a bit guilty of kind of romanticizing the Gottlieb Malone years on One Life to Live because, you know, of what came afterwards, the way the show fell into such disrepair after they left. And, you know, perhaps we remember them better than they actually were. But I'm going to tell you what, those years, especially between, say, 92 and 95, those were truly, that was truly a magical period for the show. No question about it. And I think it had to do with the chemistry between Linda Gottlieb, Michael Malone, and Josh Griffith. I think the three of them really did have a great chemistry. I think Linda Gottlieb was a real visionary. I mean, she really, she had a real amazing sense of story. And um, so you're quite right. I, I agree completely. And then when they left uh, and Linda left, it, it changed. Yeah. And, you know, to your earlier point about, you know, not looking like everybody else in your audition scene, I think Linda's great legacy was she cast unique-looking actors. Yeah, I mean. During that time. And whenever you were flipping past channels, Whomever on One Life to Live caught your eye, they were different looking. They were unique. Yeah, I think, and she she cast you know good solid actors, and and she didn't really care. You know, you're right, and and you know you take a look at a guy like Roger Howarth who started the Todd character, who to this day is the mainstay of that show along with Vicky. You know, uh, you know, uh, he was a really unique and very gifted actor, and he, he played the hell out of that role, didn't he? He look was at, amazing. Look at Susan Haskell. I mean, she was different from anybody else on daytime at that point. Totally. nobody like her on daytime. Yeah. I mean, she's knocked down gorgeous, but there's a depth to her yes. that is, is, is really special. She's gorgeous, you know? but in a different way than, than 
typical soap opera gorgeous. Yeah, and I mean, even like uh, Cassie DePaiva, you know, she Linda brought her on, and and um, you know, Cassie is maybe you know more of the oh I don't know quintessential soap actress, but there's again with Cassie, there's a depth to her and a reality to her acting that's I think really really amazing. So she and Susan, they're all very real, believable actors, aren't they? I mean, you know, you just believe Absolutely. them. And, and I remember when Blair was an Asian woman to begin with. Oh, that's here right. Comes, here comes Cassie DePaiva, the, the girl from Tennessee with blue eyes and blonde hair. And yeah, then they recast it. Yeah, I've forgotten that. You're absolutely right. She yeah. just stepped right into that role and was cooking with gas from the minute she stepped on set. She sure was. Yeah, well, she's a very good friend. We, She and her husband, Jim, uh, remain very, very dear friends of mine to this day. Oh, she's great. They're both great. Yeah, they're wonderful. So, tell me, tell me about working with Linda Gottlieb. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know firsthand, obviously, but, but I know from articles that people like Erica Slezak and Bob Woods and Jimmy DePaiva, they weren't really that crazy about her. And well, you know, and and I respect their opinion, but uh, I felt like, you know, many people who are she may not have been the most tactful uh, individual in the world, but, you know, she said what she meant. She meant what she said. You knew where you stood. And she put the story and the show first. She had her vision. It didn't always meld with the, um, I think, some of the characters that had been there for a long time under yeah. Paul Rausch had gotten used to a certain kind of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And they'd also, their characters had been well-developed. And sometimes when, you know, Linda came around and, and she, the, the new characters she brought on, like myself, you know, they were able to, they were starting from scratch. And so whatever she said made sense. But with the other characters who had been on the show a long, long time, some of the things they were asked to do in the new storylines they were having trouble um, reconciling them with the way their characters had been for all those prior years. So that's what I think caused the conflict. And then there was a certain kind of, you know, straightforwardness to Linda. You know, this is what we're doing, and now do it. It's your job. Maybe that didn't go over so well. <laughs> so I can understand their point of view, but, yeah. you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with coming in and shaking things up. Absolutely, and listen, that show was in, in was in dire need of leadership at that point. I That's mean, right, and she did her thing. And look at hey, the fact of the matter is, she did a wonderful thing for that show. She yeah. went on to do other things, and those all those folks are still there. They're fine. They all are doing great. And you know, really, did she hurt anybody? I don't think so. Well, look, I mean, look at the characters that 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 they created that are still there. Nora Blair. Uh, uh, Marty, you, I mean... There's a lot of them that are still there, and on top of that, Vicky and Bob, and, you know, Jimmy's not there anymore. He probably should be. Um, but, um, you know, all those other characters that were having trouble with some of those storylines and the way their characters were being developed, like I said, they're still there. So I think overall the show benefited from her um, her influence. And I think the funny thing is that, that Erica and Bob and Jimmy... Even though they didn't, they didn't really like her. They all had some of their best storylines under her. You're right. It's true. It's I mean, they may they may have something different to say about that, but <laughs> in my opinion, you're correct. <laughs> so, um, 
how do I want to say this? It, it's it's in my opinion, and it's only my opinion, but it, in my opinion, Linda and Michael kind of did nothing short of create an, an entire new paradigm for the show, coming off the Paul Roush years, which were totally outlandish, and you know, uh, glitz and glamour and you know, science fiction and the whole thing, and here come Linda and Michael, and they they do a immediate 180 on the show, and they bring back the social issues, they bring back realism. Right. Uh, but, you know, know, here's the thing, Brandon. I mean, you're right. They did, and it was great. But soaps, um, you know, it's an ever-changing medium, and, and the tastes of the audience change. And even the existing audience, not everybody wants a social issue. Not everybody wants, you know, uh, everything to be relevant all the time. Sometimes people just want romance and escape. So it's a con- it's a, it's it, I can see how, why soaps like One Life to Live uh, go back and forth and kind of the pendulum swings. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It swings back and forth between fantasy and romance and reality and social issues. The they're always the storytellers are always trying to touch as many of the audience as they can, and the audience's tastes are constantly changing. And the audience becomes bored and wants something new all the time. You know, TV audiences, they're hungry. So, uh, but, you know, yeah, I think that Michael and, and Josh and, and Linda did wonderful, wonderful stories. There's no question about it. I, I don't see how v- people can argue that point. It's Absolutely just a Absolutely not. And, you know, it, it took them, it took them a, a good year to get the hang of the kind of the rhythms of soap. Yeah. But once they did get the hang of it. It was. It became quite clear, at least to me, that they were that they were trying to transcend the mere soap label. I mean, they were trying to create art. Yeah, but then when Michael and Josh came back without Linda being there, it was a bit more of a struggle for them. Yeah, it was. But I think I think that was a different time for for a daytime altogether. I think there was much I'm more saying. work interference. There was much more. That's what I'm saying. Lightning sometimes only strikes once. <laughs> so. Um, repeat you know you can't repeat and uh, just because it worked uh, at one point in time doesn't mean that when you do it again it's going to work again yeah you know what I mean yeah yeah exactly uh, but like I said I, I, just, I just think when they when by the time they came back there were many more cooks in the kitchen with their hands in the pot yep. and uh, you know art by committee never works it just never works you're yeah you're you're right I, I agree <laughs> you know so, what you're talking um, about I, I have a, a a caller on the phone that I think you may know. I'd like to know. Oh, okay. Erico two one two. Are you on the line? I am. Hello. Can you tell us who you are, please? Oh, this I'm not like the mystery guest. <laughs> I have to go give reveal my name. Does does anybody not recognize this voice? It depends on whether Mr. Krimer recognizes the voice or not. <laughs> I, I'm trying. Oh my! <laughs> hey, Bob, it's Laura Bonarico. Oh, your voice sounds different. <laughs> well, that's only because I just woke up here. Here on the East Coast, it's a bit late for me. So I. Oh, did you take a nap? For a nap, yes. I have Are to you? Rest. So I hear you're on all my children. I have been. Yes, I have, and I. That's hear cool. She's made a triumphant return to daytime. Yeah. All right. Great fun. And Great you fun. have you have actually you're on all my kids and you also have kids. <laughs> all correct. All correct. How old are your kids now? Oh my goodness, Isaac will be ten the end of this month, and my daughter Billy is seven. Wow. 
Congratulations. That's great, Laura. Thank you so much. Laura. I know I know how much you wanted a family, so that's fantastic. Thank you. And yours? How old are yours now? Uh, Fifty-five <laughs> and uh, forty. You look amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm doing well. You're doing well. Oh, I got a, I got a, Max is twenty. No. The junior in college, <gasps> and uh, Tess is fifteen and a half, and she's a sophomore in high school. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's something. So they're doing really well, and uh, and uh, you know we're still uh, getting by. Excellent. I saw this fantastic photo of you in a cap and gown recently. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the best costume I ever wore. I the smile on your face is as genuine as I've seen it. You yeah, know, I, I was. It was a really. It was a great accomplishment, and I'm, I'm really proud of that moment. So that was nice. She's talking about my graduation picture from law school. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so that How was. How long very, has it been since you two saw each other? Oh my God, we haven't seen each other in uh, years. Years. Yeah. What? Well, I left the show. Uh, I don't know, 2000 or so. Yeah. So uh, I don't know, 10 years maybe. Wow. I know we ran into each other once. I haven't recurred. I haven't been back on One Life to Live since Billy was two. So since she's seven. Were, were we on at the same time? For some somehow or other, we were. I remember okay. sitting with you in the dressing room and catching up a little bit. Okay. Maybe Blair and Todd's wedding, one of those weddings that mm, that you I'm both came sure back for, that. maybe. Perhaps. I don't remember. I don't remember. I just remember oh. talking with you. What's your character on All My Children do? I'm involved with a storyline with Jesse and Angie, um, Darnell Williams and uh, Debbie Morgan. And oh, you're the you're the uh, you're the breakup girl. Yes. I, I, in maybe. some ways, I think perhaps I may be. <laughs> certainly caused them a little heartache. You're the triangle, huh? <laughs> it's funny. Doing a classic soap like triangle story. That's cool. <laughs> like being back on soaps. It's great. It's Look at I'm doing Brandon's job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's just so little that you know, I, I think your life's probably a lot more interesting than mine. I'm sitting in my office right now actually. I got my computer on and I'm books all over the place. I, I don't know. Would you have ever predicted this, Laura? You know, it, 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 I have to say you are one of the smartest men I know. And uh it doesn't surprise me. That yeah. that you've become an attorney. What kind of law are you practicing? Um, I do public agency law and water law, land use, environmental related issues, that kind, of real estate transactions, that kind of stuff. Sure. No litigation, very little court, nothing Not like that. Court? Oh, you're the, we have to speak to the partners. You belong in court. <laughs> they have no idea. And didn't I say that earlier? That's what everybody exactly. assumes, but no, I don't. It's not. It's. I'm not interested. I don't. I don't have the interest. Don't they know that you could totally be Perry Mason, though? You could totally yeah, play the totally, part. Totally, he totally could. He totally yeah. could. Could you imagine yeah. him crushing somebody on the stand? Forget oh. it. I would. I would crumble in a second. I'm, the I'm Your husband's a lawyer, right, Laura? By education, yeah. By education, but he's a businessman, in, in fact. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a pretty bright guy himself. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That's You're no slouch. Thank you. Exactly. Tough, tough girl. <laughs> wow, it's so good to hear your voice. Oh, it's good to hear your voice too. I, you know, I was just out there, and and uh, somebody had mentioned to me that you were over at all my kids, and I thought that was fantastic. And 
next time I come out to New York to marry or bury somebody, it usually happens <laughs> once or twice a year. I'll, we have to get together. I hate it fun. when I come out there because, you know, marriage ends your storyline and death, well, that, of course, ends your storyline. So they kind of hate to see me show up. <laughs> the actors start combing through their scripts, looking to see if they're going to start coughing or something. Exactly. You know? Looking to see if it's them that's on the chopping block. Yeah, yeah. Why is he here? Am I out of here? Yeah. It's like the Grim Reaper now. <laughs> well, I have to tell everybody that you can find Miss Bonarigo on laurabonarigo.com or lauracoffman.com. She's just launched a fabulous new website, and it's gorgeous. I'll put the link up in the chat room for everybody to see. Thank you. And I also have to tell everybody that a fabulous man in New York by the name of Michael Ormond kind of <laughs> arranged this little mini reunion between Laura and, and uh, 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 Robert. Yeah. <laughs> and that Miss Kaufman is going to be on my show here on February 4th, and we're going to talk all about One Life to Live, and we're going to talk all about Robert and, and Laura and their time together, and it's going to be great. And I just want to thank Michael for putting this all together because I, I reached out to him, and he emailed me back immediately, and – he was very cooperative and very generous, and, and uh, I want to thank him a lot. It means a lot to me. Yeah, yeah that was, that's really nice, and it's great to talk to Laura. I'm, I'm really proud of her. She's a woman who really knows what she wants and goes out and gets it, and it includes professional and personal, and she balances her life in a nice way. It's, it's, really, it's, it's very cool. You're, you're a great lady, Laura. Thanks. thanks and such a terrific actress. I can't wait until she comes back and we can dig all into her career. It's going to be great. February 4th, guys. <laughs> you, you guys are great. I'm going to let you go, Bob. I'm going back to bed. All right. Good night, dear. Thank you so much Sweet for letting well, me Laura, pop Thank you on. for coming on. My pleasure. So, so great to hear from you. Hear you. Okay. and I'm so, so pleased for you and your family. Give my love to everybody. I will. Thanks, Laura. Bye. How great was that? That was very cool. How, how, how great was she to work with? I mean, seriously... Uh, you know, we had the we had a great working relationship. I mean, we had a lot did of you trust. Know from your first scenes, that that the chemistry would be there, and that that would work. I mean, did you? Did yeah, well, you we had kind of asked them to put us together. To tell you the truth, uh, I don't think they actually originally thought that of us as a couple. Um, but we did some scenes together, and um, we liked each other as people. And our characters were kind of out there without interests. And uh, we went up and pitched the idea and. They tried some sample stuff, and they liked what they saw, and that started the whole thing. So it was a really, you know, we were together for a lot of years, every day. You sure were. And what I loved about your relationship was there was a slow build up to the marriage, and then there was a slow unraveling of it. It was, you you don't hardly see anything like that on soaps these days. I mean, it's all just lightning fast. You're together, and you're done inside of three months. And we're talking about a a six- or seven-year storyline here. Yeah, no, it went it went on for a long time and and was a lot of fun to play and kind of sad too. Yeah. So other other than the the people that you worked with regularly, like that that were in your circle, like Susan and Laura, and I mean the great thing about Andrew was he kind of interacted with everybody. Michael Malone's uh, canvas was very much a community, and you kind of interacted with everybody. Who did you love working with outside of your normal circle? Who did you love acting with? Um, I, I, I love, she's, I, I don't, I think pretty much everybody, anyone, you know, I, I really like that group of actors. I'm not, I'm not just saying that I've got nothing to gain. I, I tell you otherwise, uh, you know, I, I'm out of it now, but, uh, the, uh, in truth, I, I liked everybody. I, I, each actor I thought was, was special. I loved, uh, Bob Woods's kind of 
deep, soulful acting and, and un, unforced kind of uh, approach to acting. He's just always so grounded and so real. Uh, so I really enjoyed working with him. I loved working with Robin Strasser. I loved her, her energy and her, her uh, flair for the dramatic. Um, and we did, we, we, in our scenes, we often pushed that Andrew Dorian hatred to, a, to the, as far as we could. And, um, and you, you know, gosh, who together. else? Uh, I love doing all that stuff with Angel Square, working with, uh, you know, uh, Antonio and, and, and that character. And, um, you know, it just goes on and on. I, I really enjoyed everybody. Erica was always a professional. You know, you know I got who I got to mention. I don't know why I forgot. I would say that one of my favorite people to work with was Roy Finnis, who uh, played my father on the show. Yes, exactly. Um, God, yeah, he, he and he's remains a good friend uh, to this day. We talk often on the phone, and I see him every time I go to New York. I've been he's trying an to find contact actor. information on him. I've been trying. I, I want desperately to invite him on the show. And yeah, email me, and I'll take care of that for you. Excellent. I I, I will do that. You know, and, that, uh, was, that was uh, your first big storyline on the show. The whole Billy Douglas right. homophobia. You know, your brother William, your father Sloan. That was. I mean, was Roy and I bonded. He's an. He's the consummate actor, and, and I, I loved working with him. I don't know if your listeners or if there's even anybody listening, um, but uh, the, the uh, you know, was just great. He's a great guy. So can we talk about that storyline a little bit? How did, how did, you, how did you first get wind of, of what they were, were going to do? I mean, this was, this was seriously groundbreaking stuff back in 92 when they started this whole homophobia uh, uh, storyline. How did you first get wind of it? Um, well, we had done the Megan storyline with Jessica Tuck, the death of Mary, Megan, and that was a very successful storyline. And, and Andrew, um, kind, it kind of launched Andrew as a viable um, character on the canvas. Um, and I have Jessica Tuck to thank for that. She's me, really single-handedly responsible, of, I think, for my having that. One of the finest that. things I've ever seen in my life was was. A scene, the scene where you were outside on a park bench, and she told you that she was dying from lupus. Yeah. And you just had this. There were no words that passed between you after that, and you just had this look of utter devastation on your face. Yeah. And the camera was, kind, of, uh, kind of panned up to an aerial shot, and it was one of the finest things I've ever seen ever. We did a. We we had great chemistry, Jessica and I, and we did some. Uh, we did some work that I am really really proud of. Even when I see it to, to this day, you know, um, I, I think it was really good. But she's an amazing actress. Um, but um, Linda Gottlieb called me up to her office and asked me if I would have any objection to this storyline she was thinking of having to do with a gay teenager, and then she laid out the storyline, and I said, you know, I have no objection at all. I think it's brilliant. Uh, I'd be flattered to be part of it. So uh, it, it, uh, it, it happened, and, and it, they, you know, hired this uh, kid who had never done anything before, a 17-year-old kid named Ryan Felipe. You bet. I guess he did okay. Yeah, and uh, he, from the moment he started, uh, came on the show and started acting, I think everybody knew that he possessed something very special as an actor. And, um, and then we did this, this amazing storyline. Yeah, boy, that was something. Oh. 
I even ended up, as a result of that storyline, I had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. and speak with uh, Jesse Jackson uh, in the uh, park below the Washington Monument. It was the last time, I believe, that the entire AIDS quilt was uh, unveiled because from that point on it got so big that there was no place that could where you could unveil the whole thing. Yeah. But at that point in time they did, and I was there, and... Um, I really, out of that storyline, I had some pretty amazing uh, opportunities and experiences, and I met a lot of people, uh, a lot of heartbreaking stories. Yeah, you know, on on the show, prior to them showing the AIDS quilt on the show, you had a seriously, monumentally powerful sermon about hatred and about love, and yeah. you took the rock and you covered it with the with the quilt piece that you were fixing to put on the quilt. Yeah, I remember that now, yeah. Yeah. What, what went through your mind when you first saw that script? I mean, it was so beautifully well written. What? Uh, were, if it were me, I would have been terrified of of the writing because it was so the good. same I'm thing just... that went through my mind lots of times when I got scripts from Josh and Michael. How am I going to do justice to these yes. words? Yes. And that sounds strange on a soap opera, doesn't it? It really does. You know, it's usually how am I going to make sense out of these words? <laughs> but with those guys, and particularly in that storyline. They were writing stuff that was just mind-boggling. It was so beautifully written, yeah. and it was poetry. And uh, I worried about the fact that, you know, I had to learn so much in one day and have it all ready to go the next day. There was no time to do multiple takes, and it deserved it. It deserved much more care and love than it was able to get on a soap opera, I'll tell you that. You know, But we did the best we could with it. And were were you in were you in regular contact with the writers during that period? I remember during the gang rape story when when Hillary saying that she was in constant contact with Michael for her summation because she wanted it to be exactly right. And I'm just wondering if you had a similar experience with that sermon. You know, were you in contact with the writers, or did no. you just take what they gave you? Yeah, that one. Okay. I, I just didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really get involved myself with that. And you know, Hillary is also, by the way, a very good writer. Um, so, you know, she brings a lot to the table herself when she talks to the writers. I, on the other hand, you know, I, I, you know, unless there's something that I just don't understand, I try to stick to kind of what, what I'm given. <laughs> I let them do their job and then I do my job. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. You both working in concert and you both knocked it out of the park. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was a good. That yeah, was something. Yeah. Can you, that's, can you talk? I'm, I'm more proud. That's the thing that kind of made my whole, whatever my acting career was, and it was really just the career of a working actor. You know, I took care of my family, and I was blessed to have 20 years of constant work. I mean, that's pretty unusual just by itself. Um, but of all whatever I did, that's the story that kind of makes it all worthwhile. I know that it really impacted a lot of people in a really positive way and was very important uh, at, at, to a lot of people. It went way beyond what soap operas usually do, and I, I just feel so lucky that I uh, had a chance to be part of that. You know, oh. It made a lot of it worthwhile. Oh, my God. And, and the, uh, the mail you must have gotten from, from thankful fans, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was... You can't believe the mail I got during that storyline, and you can't believe how people would open their hearts. I mean, you know, I'd be sitting in my dressing room crying over some of the letters I received because 
it was just so, you know, whether it was some kid out in the middle of nowhere who, you know, decided that he wasn't going to commit suicide and that there was a reason to live, exactly. um, or it was a parent who had lost a, a child to AIDS, all that kind of stuff. I received letters like that, and, and, you know, I tried to respond also. I tried to write back as much as I could. Like I told you when I first emailed you last week, it had a profound impact on me. I was I was then a 16-year-old kid in a small town in Texas just beginning to get the first hints that my sexuality may not be the same as everybody else's, and it had a profound impact on me. It was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that even remotely on television. I mean, literally. It was a first. first. It really was, I think, a first. Can you can you talk about the quilt? Can you talk about seeing it up close? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I can. I mean, it was... The, when I first saw it was when we filmed on location. We were filming the uh, scene, a set of scenes where, you know, uh, all these people in the town hated each other at that point. They hated me. They hated mm-hmm. Billy's parents hated him. My father hated me, and went on and on and on. So there was just all this hatred, and um, so uh, we did a set of scenes for the television show. And I believe this was the first and the only time that the AIDS quilt, the actual AIDS quilt, has been on television. Yes, exactly, it is. Um, but uh, we went out to some place in New Jersey, a church in New Jersey, which we filmed as St. James, um, our fictional church in Landville. And uh, so, uh, and they unveiled it. They, there was a special ceremony that they do whenever they unveil the quilt. People are, are trained, kind of like the flag, you know, you... you just like we treat the American flag with great respect, and there's a special ceremony for folding it and unfolding it. Uh, the same thing is true of the AIDS quilt. There's groups of people that are trained specifically in, in how to un, unfold it, and, and it's treated as a, you know, really as a sacred kind of piece. And um, I was out there, and I was watching these, these people dressed in white um, unfolding the, the sections of the quilt. We, we just had a few sections. And then before the scene began, I walked uh, down the quilt, and I was just reading the names and what people had embroidered as messages to their loved ones. And, you know, uh, no acting was required, put it that way, when it came to doing the scenes. Were you amazed that Linda was able to convince them to to, uh, let her display it on the show? Because I know she fought long and hard for the opportunity. Uh, well, no, I'm not surprised. I think Linda can accomplish anything she puts her mind to. So, uh, uh, and also, you know what? She, her heart was in the right place. You know what I mean? It was for the right reason. It was the right t- place, the right time. So I think there was a universe uh, behind her. Yeah. Oh, I, it's, I, you know, I... I went to San Francisco several years ago because I, I thought that uh, it was still out there, and, and it's not out there anymore. I understand it's in a warehouse in Atlanta now, and I guess it hasn't been pulled out since 96 when they did it on the mall in Washington. It's too big. Uh, it's, you know, you, you want to hope that at some point they can pull it back out again and, you know, let people experience the, the, the sheer power of it again. Yeah, you know, it, it might, you know, it might be appropriate. Maybe uh, something buddy like Bill Clinton's foundation could make something like that happen. Yeah, especially in a, in a in a day and age where we're where we're looking at hope politically again, and we're looking at you know quote unquote a new day, it's you know it's one of those great reminders that that uh, hope conquers all. You know. 
Yeah, I think it, it does. And and uh, but uh, we've come a long way uh, since then. But now that epidemic uh, is uh, global, and we have Africa, you know, to contend with. So. <laughs> so you, when. Uh, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's 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 uh, it's tough stuff. You know, very tough stuff. <laughs> it sure is, but boy, it's it's you know it's it's art on a profound scale. I mean, it's. It's, it's yeah, you don't see it very. You don't see it anymore, do you? You just don't see oh. those kind. You know, if you if you watch soaps today, you just won't find a story like that anymore. It's just uh, they're not doing that right now. It's solid proof that television can be so much more than you know mindless entertainment. It can be, but it can be the most powerful tool that exists when it, when it's used correctly. It can be incredibly powerful, but I don't like the way TV's being used now. <laughs> I don't like TV anymore. Oh, it's it's getting tougher and tougher each day out there. It's a it's a tough. I mean, if I you know, I mean, you know, the bad all these reality shows and stuff. Mm -hmm. There's you know, and now everybody can be a star for 15 minutes and go off and do this, and it's just it's so different than when I started. You know, back in my day, you actually had to train to be an actor. Now all you have to do is you know, (laughs) win a contest or. Win a contest, look or the right color hair or whatever. (laughs) It's just way different. That's all I can say. (laughs) So when when Michael was let go in '96, did how nervous did you get? Because I mean, he was very much your your. um, Yeah. Who came on after him? It was Leah Lehman and Peggy Sloan for a while, and that was a total disaster. And then Claire Labine came in. Yeah, I, by the t- just before Claire Labine came in, um, they were going to kick me to the curb. Um, just before Claire came in, I mean, I I was pretty much packing my bags, ready to leave New York. And then uh, Cassie and I remember Cassie and Jim called me on the phone. I was in California, and they said, uh, you know, Claire Labine wants to meet with you. She she really loves your character, and she's going to start head writing the show. So. When I got back to New York, I met with Claire, and and she she did in fact love my character, and she loved what I had done in the in the Billy Douglas story, and she said, you know what, we I want to bring this character back on the canvas, and so I had some great storylines with her, with Angel Square, and 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 stuff, and did some stuff with Todd, I think, and Taya, wasn't that with Taya at that time? All that. Yes, it was. It's yeah. You know, it, it's so funny that that kind of when you came on the show. And your kind of habit of falling for the for the woman you can't have was established with Megan, and it yeah. was carried through with Marty, and then it was carried through with Taya. It was kind of a, a fun yeah, kind of a, with your character. He was not very lucky in love, and so um, and so Claire kind of saved my character. And then uh, after Claire, I think we had uh, somebody else. I can't remember who yeah, it was. Sam Long came in for a little bit, and then didn't and we then, have uh, Susan Bledsoe Horgan in there at some point too? And yeah, she was on Michael's team, and then when Linda left uh, the executive producer post, Susan took over that. Yeah, I think I had about seven or eight executive producers that I went through but uh, and, and survived, but I couldn't survive Jill Farron Phelps. She, <laughs> she, she put an end to the character, and that was all she wrote. You know? I think that's the story with a lot of people that... that yeah, just, there was no fighting it. You know, I, 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 I swear to God, I think if I had survived Jill, I would have. I might still be on the show because Gary Tomlin came in after that, and he loved my character. And yes. 
I, I might have survived, but Jill, uh, I don't know. She just uh, had a kind of a network mandate to get rid of everybody, and she yeah. did. So. Well, you know, it, it was another one of those times when the show was in desperate need of, of, of strong leadership again, and, you know, sometimes... That's right. You know what? And I remember I kind of had a philosophical point of view. I mean, I was pissed off. Don't get me wrong. I, I sure didn't want to lose a job, especially with a... Yeah. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I thought to myself, well, you know, when I came, when Linda brought me on, you know, I was the new kid, and and some other people had to go, and so I can hard, I'm hardly in a position to say that somebody else can't do that, right? So I just that was how I handled it philosophically. But it was just dis- because because one of great one of one of uh, Claire Levine's great kind of character strokes was she put Andrew in charge of an of an HIV infected teenage boy named Eli. Oh yeah! Oh my and God! That that's was, right. That was a great storyline for a while, and then it just kind of disappeared. Yeah, that went away. Yeah, he went away. Uh, they had Carlotta adopt him, didn't he, or something like that? I don't know what happened. It got all. So, and then he just kind of disappeared, like kind of like Bobby Martin going up to the attic. Yeah, kind of... and then they took our kid River and they aged him. <laughs> I remember one day he was six months old, the next day he was fourteen. Exactly. <laughs> I said, "Man, oh man, my kid grew up fast," and I don't even remember. <laughs> so now all of a sudden I have this adolescent kid. And the next thing I know, Andrew's a lousy father, and they're moving him out of the rectory. He's going to be raised by somebody else. I'm going, what did I do wrong? (laughs) They were all over the place. At that point, you know, it was just so, you go from the Michael Malone days when it was just such great story and it all made sense, and all of a sudden Uh you're going from having a kid two years old to having a kid 14 uh-huh. years old. He's living uh-huh. with you, and then he's with Carlotta, and then he's off to Juilliard Music School, and you're like, what are you doing? So it was like, whatever. Let me tell you something. On soaps, it's either sublime or it's ridiculous. There is no gray area. It's- <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> and I had my share of the ridiculous. <laughs> Andrew oh man! Sublime, don't sell it short. You, I did, and I had a, I had a good, I had a good bite of the sublime. So I guess it worked out okay. <laughs> I want to ask you quickly, if I can. I know our time is kind of running short here, but, but uh, I want to ask you quickly about about the brief work that you did with Michael Zaslow when he came on the show in '98. Boy, you you ask great questions, and you really know the show. Yeah, well, that I don't know really what to say about that. Um, I had known Michael before he got ill, for your, for your listeners, if there are any out there on your first night. And don't forget, Brandon, this is the first night, so it can, yes. it's going to grow and it'll catch on because you're a very good host and you're really, you're really good at this and you're very knowledgeable. So Thank you so much. Don't you I worry. to tell you, but the chat room is full and they're buzzing about you. So. And by the way, I um, emailed uh, publicity at uh, One Life to Live when we put this together and let them know about you and what you're doing. So I want to email you the name of the person over there as well at ABC because you should get to know her. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. You're a terrific guy. But (laughs) um, Michael Zaslow, um, I had met him through – I had done some work with the union, you know – union negotiation stuff with contracts and Michael was very active in the union so I'd met him and I, I had so much respect for him and I didn't realize what had happened to him that he'd gotten ill and then when he showed up on the show uh, and we reunited we, we had instant chemistry and mm-hmm. uh, really got along very very well and so 
um, I was I was lucky enough to get to to not only know him and work with him professionally, but to get to know him and his family personally. He was a a, a really wonderful man, and and that that was a real tragedy. What happened to him? Talk about life affirming spirit. I mean, he was on that show until the very end, and all he wanted to do was work. Yep, that's all he all wanted. All he wanted to do was do his job and create his art. That's all he wanted to do. And he wanted to raise his family. He was yeah. a great dad, and um, um, and his wife Susan's a great lady. And and you know, it, there's a lot of tragedy in that family now. And um, yeah. and uh, I just I don't know what to say about it. He, he's just a remarkable guy. You know, it's a very I sad. What, for for all the knocks that that ABC has gotten, and for all the knocks that they've deserved, it's it's it, God bless him for you know letting him come on the show and you know do what he could for the show. And I believe that Jill Theron Phelps was the one who made that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, much to her, I, I'm pretty sure, uh, much much to her credit. Yeah, and, the story um, we heard was that was that uh, Claire Labine wanted to in the summer of '97, and. Uh-huh. Uh, Guiding Light put a stop to it, and they, they actually, uh, there was litigation about it. And so uh-huh. when they cleared that up, uh, and Michael was, was free to do what he wanted to, Jill Farron Phelps brought him on, because Jill Farron Phelps was his producer on Guiding Light. Gotcha. Okay, so, so there was the a, connection. Okay, so. that makes sense. Makes sense. And uh, Bryn Thayer, uh, you know Bryn, uh, was a really good friend of Michael's. They worked together in the early years of One Life to Live. And one of the fun things that happened is that um, after Michael got sick, Bryn and Robin Strasser, but, but to a large extent Bryn, came back into his life as a support system mm-hmm. for him, an old friend. And uh, Bryn and I knew each other because we did a movie together in Madrid, Spain in 1986 called Deadline Madrid and uh, it was a made-for-TV movie and um, hold on a second, got a call coming in <laughs> and uh, so um, so there was Bryn a good friend of Michael which I didn't realize and Bryn and I had worked together in Madrid and knew each other very well from that experience so it just goes to show what a small world it is and then we all you know, did what we could for, for Michael, but, um, you know, in the midst of all that, don't forget he also, in the midst of his illness, he also established Zaz's Angels, an entire, you know, just like him, to create a whole uh, organization to help people with uh, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. So that's the kind of person he was. Yeah. Oh, such a, such a great, sp- you know, I mean, I, I can't really, I can't really, it's kind of pompous of me to say this, but you know, I, I can imagine that if you if you come in daily contact with a story like that, with a person like that, it, it, it must make your own problems seem terribly, terribly small. Uh, it makes your problems seem non-existent. <laughs> and and you know, and I, I have to tell you, stuff like that it, it had a lasting effect on me. It really did. That kind of reality, um, Michael's death, and and. Uh, you know, I've had losses in my own family, um, and uh, those kinds of real-life losses, they, they do rewire your brain. You, you're much less uh, likely. I'm, I really feel blessed almost all the time um, because I know how life can bite you on the ass and how quickly things can change. So I'm very appreciative of everything. Well, 
Bob Krimmer, I tell you what, I thank you so much for being on my show. Um, uh, before I let you go, I have a I have a good friend of mine named Joanne Kubasek, and she owns she owns she runs a, a show on this network called Stardish, and mm-hmm. she would very much like to say hi to you if you don't mind. I, I, my pleasure. Joanne, are you on the line? I certainly am. Hello. Hi, Joanne. How are you? Um, fantastic. Hi, Robert. It's such an honor to speak with you. <laughs> I don't know about that, but thank you. No, it is. This, you know what? I have to say thank you, one, for coming on Brandon's premiere show. Brandon, number great. one. I, yeah, you, you know what? Brandon's been with me for a long, long time now, and I, I am so excited that he branched out and did this on his own. I'm so proud of him. I think anytime somebody, you know, does something like people don't realize it, it's not easy to do, and uh, no. he did a great yeah. job. I do a show similar to his, except Brandon is a behind-the-scenes kind of guy, as you can tell, with all the knowledge of soaps. And my show is more of a, you know, where the fans come and connect with the stars. So I'll do very little Q&A, and I let all the fans ask the questions. So uh, that's how Brandon and I actually met. We've never met in person. (laughs) We've only met through our show. Very cool. Well, I I think Brandon's show is going to do really great, and it's going to become – a place for the uh, for the aficionado. Uh, you know what? Absolutely, he he deserves all of that, and he loves 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 talking about the story. I really really hope that uh, the email that you sent out to Miss Hogan kind of gets through to her because she's a little tough nut to crack. So uh, <laughs> she she wrote me back and thanked me, and and I'll, I'll mm-hmm. get, she asked me to let her know how things went, and I'm going to give a glowing review. Oh, Definitely. So oh, he deserves so it. Much. Yeah, I just. I met her this uh, this past November, so yeah, definitely. Um, she's she's an extremely uh, nice individual. Yeah, well, I, I I had the opportunity to go down to Orlando at Super Soap Weekend and do the red carpet interviews down there um, oh. that she she and Mitch Messinger had put together from General Hospital. So that's how I met her. But yeah, I'm I'm really glad. Brandon definitely deserves it. So I just wanted to say thank you, and and I do miss seeing you on TV. But you know what? I give you give you such props for what you did. It was a very brave thing to do, and you did it, and you succeeded. And go, Robert. Oh, well, thank you. Absolutely, Brandon. I'm here for you. So, go ahead, throw me back on hold, and end your show with a bang, buddy. Thank you, darling, so so much for okay. your help and support and advice and everything. Thank you. You're an angel. Anytime, thank you so much. anytime. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, she's Bob. A, she's I, a sweet. Oh, she is the best. She's a she's a total angel. You know, I called into her show one night. She was kind of uh, uh, she had Judy Evans from Days of Our Lives on her show, and she never watched Days of Our Lives, but she didn't want to turn away a guest because her show was kind of a, a new show at that point. Right. And I watched Days of Our Lives for years and years, and so I knew everything. I knew all the questions to ask, and I called in, and and uh, she credits me with saving her ass. So. <laughs> and you know, your knowledge that. is your knowledge is uh, obvious, but. You know, you got a, you got a great way of asking questions, and I think it's great that you've come out from behind the scenes. I think I think you'll do great at this, and I'm certain everyone I talk to, uh, well, you send me an email, and I'll give you some ideas of other people you can connect up with. Okay? We'll do that. That would be absolutely fabulous. Thank you. Uh, and I'll help you make those connections. I'm happy absolutely. to do that. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on my show. And okay. I have one final favor to ask you, if if you don't mind, uh, I'd like you to do a promo for the show, if you don't mind. I'm happy to. Okay, just you can say anything you want as long as it has the words Bob Krimmer and uh, Brandon's Buzz. Okay. So, anytime you're ready, I'm recording now, so anytime you're ready, shoot. 
Hi, this is Bob Krimmer. Uh, some of you may know me as Andrew Carpenter on One Life to Live, a part I played for, oh, I don't know, 14 or 15 years, but that's not worth talking about. I'll tell you what's worth talking about is Brandon's buzz. This man has a handle on what's going on in television and in music, and I strongly recommend you tune in and listen to his show. He's got a lot to offer, and I wish him all the success in the future. Good luck, Brandon. Keep buzzing. Thank you so, so much. I, I cannot tell you what an honor it was speaking to you and what a, what a supreme thrill it was having you on my first show. My pleasure, Brandon. Thanks and, for asking know, me. I, I have so many more questions. I only scratched the surface with you, and I'm going to have to beg you to come back on sometime. That's my pleasure. You just let me know when. And be sure to email me. I'll get you the information. Uh, uh, I will do it as soon as the show wraps, I promise. Okay. I probably won't get to it till tomorrow, but I'll get back to you tomorrow, okay? It's fine. Okay. Take care, Brandon. Bob Krimmer, everybody. Well, that's it, guys. Brandon's buzz is over. The debut episode is in the can. It's finished. I'm so sorry to all the callers who I didn't get to on the line, uh, and I'm, I appreciate you calling in, and I appreciate you supporting the show. And everybody in the chat room, uh, 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 thank you very much for coming on the show. You can download the show at the, uh, the, uh, my Blog Talk Radio website, which is blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. And I understand that the show will be available on iTunes uh, either tomorrow or the next day. So you can check on iTunes. You can just type in Brandon's Buzz in the search box. Uh, and you can download it. If you would please go and rate the show, I would really appreciate it because the people at Blog Talk Radio look at the comments, they look at the ratings, and they, they kind of use that to determine you know, placement and featuring and all the important stuff. So it keeps me on the air, and uh, it's quite a thrill to be on the air. So thank you very much. Brandon's Buzz in the can tomorrow night, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Pacific, a two-hour conversation with Dynasty and Santa Barbara star Gordon Thompson. I spent uh, 10 minutes on the phone with him last week, and he is remarkably candid, and he has promised me that short of his sex life, everything is, is, uh, is on the table. Nothing is off limits. So it's going to be a remarkably candid conversation about Dynasty, about Santa Barbara, about soaps in the 80s and television in the 90s. It's, it's going to be a really great conversation, and I'm literally counting the minutes until then. So 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, tomorrow night with Gordon Thompson on Brandon's Buzz. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you once again to Bob Krimmer. Thank you to Laura Kaufman one more time for calling in. Thank you to uh, the fabulous Michael Orman for setting all that up. I look forward to working with you again in the future, sir. And uh, I appreciate you guys listening. I hope you listen tomorrow and in the future. Brandon's Buzz on Blog Talk Radio.